Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and I just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Good morning. My name is Dan Martin, and I will be reading the scripture this morning from Acts 1, verses 1 through 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to be a part of corporate worship today and what a privilege it is to be in your presence. And God, we thank you for uh, all that you are doing in our lives. God, I pray that you would uh, fill us with your Holy Spirit anew. And as we uh, hear the message today, God, I pray that you would help our hearts to be receptive to those things that you would have us hear, and that we would go out and be faithful to do those same things. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Dan. It's good to see you this morning. We're glad you're here on a rainy Sunday morning. You could have stayed in bed this morning and listened to it rain, but you didn't, so I'm thankful that you're here. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to look at that in just a second, but this is one of the most anticipated days of our semester as a church. You may not have realized that when you came in this morning, uh, but this is a big day that our staff and elders and team have been looking forward to for a little while uh, as we get ready to launch back into our life groups. And so today we're going to give you an opportunity to hear about our life group ministry at Grace Fellowship and then uh, to go and sign up and engage in a life group. And so that's our hope and that's what our call is going to be to you today uh, is that if you have been hanging around with us and you want to be a a deeper part of the life of Grace Fellowship Church, that a life group may be a place that, uh, that you find yourself plugging in. We say all the time around here, and if you've been around us for very long, you've probably heard it, that life change happens in circles, not in rows. Now, what we mean by that is that we love the gathering that takes place in these rows when we sit here and look at the back of each other's heads. Uh, This is fun and it's good and we have a great time and I love to preach to you and I love to be able to share God's truth with you. Uh, But real genuine life change we believe happens in a different environment that God can do absolute incredible things and he does in uh, the capacity of our worship services and when we're sitting in rows like this the spirit of God moves in this place that is for sure. Uh, But we believe also that God takes us to deeper levels of 
of relationship with him and with other people when we sit in circles together in people's homes, in living rooms, in different capacities, in different environments. And so this morning, I want to build a little bit of a case from Scripture about why we do things that way, why we have life groups, why it's important that we call people into that, um, because it's in these life groups that we really wrestle with the things that are found in God's Word. You'll hear me preach on a Sunday morning, but when you go to your life group, you can sit and talk about it with other people. Man, what did he mean by that? Or how did you take that? Or what does the scripture say? Or how do we go a little bit deeper? You can have your questions answered there. Life group is a place for us to, to help each other through hard times. It's a time where we pray for one another. It's a time where we come alongside of each other and, and walk through life together. And so the life groups provide the kind of relationships that we need to make it through life. And so we say this, and if you're taking notes this morning, you might want to follow along or write this down, that life groups are the vehicles we utilize to make disciples and to introduce discipling relationships. That it's in these life groups that we find the time that we want to say, man, this is the vehicle we use to make disciples and introduce people into discipling relationships. Because it's more than just being a part of a group. You could go anywhere and be part of any kind of group. But as far as the life groups go, this is a place that we say, when you get engaged with this, the goal is to make disciples of Jesus. And you go, well, why in the world do we do that? Because that's what Jesus did. And so I want you to know this morning that when we talk about being a church that's built around life groups and that has life groups, it's not because we just think, well, this is a really good idea. We've seen other churches do it and they've had success, so we should copy them and do the same thing. We believe that this is a very biblical principle. We believe that this is what Jesus did to make disciples, that he utilized the vehicle of a small group to make disciples who would go and make other disciples. And so I want to kind of build that case for us this morning. And if you look in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, you see the last thing that Jesus said to his disciples before he goes back to heaven. This is after his death on the cross, his resurrection. He's talking with his disciples. He's been with them for a period of time. And then he says this as he's leaving. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So the final instructions Jesus leaves his followers and for all future generations of his followers is to go make disciples. And I have to be honest with you, I think that's a message that's been missing in the church for a long time, especially here in America. If you grew up in the church, there's a really good chance that you were never told as a disciple of Jesus, someone who's come into a faith relationship with Jesus, you're also supposed to be making disciples of Jesus. Most of us have the idea that, well, being, being a disciple of Jesus, me being in faith means I go to church. And I show up for the worship service, and maybe I'm in a Sunday school class, or maybe I'm in a life group, and, and that's the deal. Maybe I'm serving on a team somewhere. Maybe I'm helping with kids' ministry or youth ministry. I'm, I'm plugged in. I'm doing these things. But nobody ever told me or challenged me with Jesus' final words. I've heard it a lot. I've heard this so many times. But Jesus wasn't just talking to his disciples on that mountain. He was talking to us, too. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Every future generation of my followers, go and do what? Make disciples. It's not just my job as a pastor to make disciples. If you're a disciple of Jesus, it's your responsibility to make disciples. 
That's what Jesus charges us with. And so for Jesus, when we see this, if it was only to the pastors that he was giving this call, then he would say, hey, when you go and preach, make disciples. But he didn't say that. He says, as you go through your day, as you go into life, make disciples of Jesus. If it was just for the pastors, everybody else would be off the hook, and I would be the only one that was supposed to be a disciple-making person in the church or our staff team. But that's not the case. This is for all of us. And so as we see this, we go, well, if that's the case, then what did Jesus do? If it wasn't just preaching and proclaiming truth, what did he do? And so here's what we see next. Jesus called 12 men into relationship, and he invested his life into them. And then out of the 12, Jesus chose three, and he spent even more personal time with them, training them to be leaders. Right, so Jesus calls 12 people essentially around him. Now, at other times in his ministry, there's 120 people who are around Jesus, and he's got these groups that he sends out, and there's crowds that follow Jesus. But by and large, when we say that Jesus had disciples, he's talking about these 12 men who came around him. And then out of those 12, he chose three, and he said, I want to take you guys even deeper, and we're going to do some more with you that's going to be very intentional, very specific. So... When we see this, and what I want us to do for the next few minutes is just give a behind-the-scenes peek at our strategy for life groups and let you see the methods that we utilize for our life groups and how we choose and how we make disciples of people. And here's what I hope you're going to find, that it's based on the things that Jesus did. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're not trying to come up with our own thing. We want to look into Scripture and see what did Jesus do as he made disciples and how do we replicate that. So here's the first thing that you're going to find with Jesus. Jesus was an intentional leader. Jesus is an intentional leader, right? And so for him, he would call people into these relationships, and then he had a strategy that he followed to disciple them. Jesus didn't just get to the end of his three years of ministry, die on the cross, come back to life, and look around and go, gosh, guys, you know what? It looks like you could do the same things that I've been doing. I guess I'll just leave now. You don't need me anymore. Jesus had been very intentional throughout his life, throughout his ministry, in training his disciples because he knew the day was coming that he would leave and that he was going to leave it in their hands. And that's why he's able to say to them, now all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, so you go make disciples. Jesus was an intentional leader. He called people around him and he poured his life into them for three and a half years. Right, then when that brings us to the second thing that Jesus did, Jesus had a biblical foundation for relationship. When Jesus made disciples, he did it relationally. And he did that because he looked at Scripture and went, all of Scripture is about relationship. God has always been about relationship, and so therefore he calls us to be about relationship. As he made disciples, he did it in the context of relationship. And you go look, look at the Old Testament. The covenants that God gives to his people are relational. The commandments that God gives to his people are relational. They're not just a group of rules to govern us and keep us in line. They're relationship. Hey, you shouldn't murder because that harms relationship. You shouldn't steal from other people because that destroys relationship. You should honor the Sabbath and keep it holy because it honors the relationship that we have with God. All of the commandments, if you look at them, you can look at them through the lens of relationship and go, this is what God has established and ordained, that we're supposed to be in relationship first with him and then with other people. Then you get to the New Testament. The covenant of grace is relationship. We're called into relationship with Jesus himself. And so come follow me and be with me and know me. 
and have your life changed by me. It's a covenant of grace. Even the fruits of the Spirit that come into our life as a result of stepping into this relationship with Jesus, the fruits of the Spirit are lived out in relationship. You show joy in relationship. You have compassion in relationship. All of the different things that take place as the fruits of the Spirit are best lived out and shown relationally. And then you look at all of Scripture. Everything in Scripture is a letter pointing us to the fact that God knows us, loves us, and wants a relationship with us. And because of that, Jesus had this foundation for relationship that he used to disciple his men. Third, Jesus created relational environments to make discipleship. If this is all supposed to be done in relationship, because then I'm going to create environments in which to do that. You don't most often find Jesus in Scripture preaching to giant crowds of people. He does that. But where do you find Jesus? Around campfires, sitting at people's tables, in living rooms with others, so on, so on. He's walking along roads with his disciples. He's just talking to them about life and ministry and what God expects. All these things are happening in relational environments. And so Jesus has this idea, if we're going to make disciples, it's going to happen in relational environments. I want you to know this, that people are watching you. And it's true what they say. And Jesus did this because I think it's true. The old adage, more is caught than taught. And if you've been a parent, you know this. Your kids are watching you constantly. And they're looking at you and they're learning from you. More about what's going on in your life is not when you sit down and have this great teachable moment that you think your kids are going to remember forever, that wise word that you gave to them. They're probably not. What they're going to remember is how you acted. If you lived out your faith in a genuine way. This came true with my son a few weeks ago. Uh, we were at church and he helps in the kids ministry some Sunday mornings and just as a helper back there with the little kids. And, uh, he's a seventh grader now. And, and, uh, a parent contacted me during the week and said, my son has not stopped talking about how much he loved hanging out with Grayson at church. And I told him, I was like, Grayson, you don't know this, but little eyes are watching you all the time. And guess what else church? That's true for us at work. People are watching you. Do they believe you when they say that you, or when you say you live as a Christian? At home, your family's watching you. In our community, people are watching you. And they're looking for us to live out what we say we believe. And I have this thing going on with me all the time at home. I understand that this is true of me as a pastor and as a father. I want to be the same person at home that I am up here on stage. I don't want to give any reason for my kids to look at me here at church and go, Dad, you're a different person there than you are at home. And it's hard for us to believe you and trust your message that you say here because of what you do there. I don't ever want that to be the case. Now, am I going to mess up in front of my family? Absolutely, I am. But by and large, I want to live out the things that I teach because more is caught than taught. I want to show them that this is real to me. So Jesus creates these relational environments. It's why we ask you to get in groups around other people that we don't just say, well, hey, come to church, sit in rows, listen to somebody teach and go, well, that was awesome. Let's go home and just try that now, I guess. But in living rooms, you're sitting around talking to each other and going, man, I see hospitality in you and I see graciousness in you and I see love in you and, and I watch you. you I, like when we come into your home, you're so kind with your kids, even when they're screaming and yelling and things are going crazy and haywire. Like, how do you do that? 
And it gives us the ability to rub shoulders with each other and to learn from each other, to be called in to that same kind of thing. Here's the fourth thing that Jesus had. He had a reproducible process. The things that Jesus did to help people mature and grow in their faith are reproducible. They're not just things that only Jesus could do. He gives us the ability to do these same things. And you go, are you sure about that? Well, yeah. And we see it played out because his disciples in the New Testament do the same things that he did. So I want to look at two examples really quickly and just walk through these and see, do these things exist? Is there an intentional leader? Is there a biblical foundation? Are there relational environments? And is it reproducible? And so here's what the disciples see in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, is the church has just kind of come into being. Peter has preached on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people come into faith. It says, and then they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So here's the questions. Was there an intentional leader? Sure, the apostles. They were intentional in the way that they preached the truth and the way that they called people into fellowship and relationship. Was there a biblical foundation? Absolutely. When they met together, they listened to the apostles' teaching. They studied the word of God together. Were there relational environments that were created? You bet. Where did they do this? They left the synagogue and the temple courts, and they went to people's homes, and they sat in living rooms and dining rooms together. Is that reproducible? Absolutely. All of us can do that. It's not something that's beyond us in our ability to do, to make disciples of Jesus, that we call people into relationship that we're intentional in how we lead them, that we have a biblical foundation for the things that we're doing, that there's relational environments that are taking place, and then that we expect them to go and do the same thing. It's reproducible. Then we see this played out again in Acts chapter 18 when this moves beyond the apostles. And you go, okay, well, those were Jesus's guys and how they led the early church. But by the time you get several years down the road, Acts chapter 18, verses 23 through 26, it says, after spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and he traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, uh, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Right? So here you've got an example of a guy who has heard about Jesus, given his life to Jesus, and began some ministry. He's taken it upon himself to start teaching about Jesus. He's in the synagogues preaching. But he doesn't quite have it all figured out. He goes, he only kind of knows some about John's baptism. He doesn't understand about the baptism into the faith in Jesus and the Spirit. And so we've got some teaching to do. And then Priscilla and Aquila see him and they hear him preach. He comes to their home synagogue, apparently. And they're like, man, this guy loves Jesus. Let's invest in him. So what do they do? Priscilla and Aquila become intentional leaders. They go to Apollos and go, hey, come and hang out with us. Where do they do that? They take him to their home. It's a relational environment. 
what do they teach him? Because they give him the word of God more accurately, more adequately. There's a biblical foundation. Is that reproducible? Sure. Anybody could see somebody at church and go, man, you seem like you're doing an awesome job with some things. Can, can I just invest in you a little bit more? I'd love to mentor you, disciple you. Can, would you come and have coffee with me once a week and let's just sit down and talk about the word of God together? This is doable for us. This is what we're calling people into relationship for. So for me right now in my home, uh, algebra is king and a lot of new stuff with school going on. And I have to be honest with you guys, and if you've known me for very long, I hate math. I am not good at math. Uh, it destroyed me in school growing up, and uh, I was so glad to just get a C or a D and pass and just be like, move on to the next thing, right? Uh, and so, but my kids are really good at math. They're doing a great job. They're in Algebra 1 right now. And so we've got a lot of math going on in our home. So I thought we could put this into an equation today. So if you were going to look at some things and go, how does this work out for us? If we're going to make disciples, how does it work? Here we go. This is not algebra. This is so simple, basic math. All right. If you have an intentional leader, plus a biblical foundation, plus a relational environment, plus a reproducible process, that's going to result in an infinite number of disciples. It's as simple as that. This is what Jesus modeled. This is what Jesus called his disciples to. This is what they did, and this is what we're doing. We're inviting intentional leaders to step in with a biblical foundation, to be in relational environments with other people, and then to challenge them to go out and make disciples and to reproduce what they experience. And so that's what we're about as a church. And I want to let you know this, as I talk to people, it's so easy to, to kind of go, well, I hear you, Pastor, and that's cool and all, and I'm sure some people like life groups, but I've got like lots of reasons that I can't do that. Uh, I'm too busy. Uh, I've never done that before. I'm not sure if I really want to do that now. It's kind of intimidating. Uh, I have kids. Like our schedules are just haywire. Like you can come up with any number of excuses, right? One of the big ones for people is if I get in that kind of environment, it's so much different than this one where I can just sit here and nobody knows what's going on in my world. In that environment, I'm expected to be transparent and open and talk about things, and I just don't know. Let me just tell you, Satan will give you any number of excuses for you to stay out of relationships for you to find a reason not to engage in life groups. He'll find every kind of reason to give to you and you'll buy into some different things. But I wanna tell you this, if you miss out on this component of life in our church, you're missing out on the relationships that people could have that would be important and valuable in your life. And more than that, we're missing out on what you would bring to our lives. When you're not engaged in the life of the church when it comes to these kinds of groups and discipling relationships, we miss out on what God's done in your heart and in your life that could be important and instrumental for us to take some next steps. We could add value to you, and you certainly would add value to us. And so we call people into these kinds of relationships and into these kinds of environments for that very reason. Life groups give you a chance to know people, and to be known, right? And so here's the next thing that I would say when we think about this as a church, we know and understand that you're not gonna know everyone in our church. In a church that's growing in multiple services and all the different things that we have going on and multiple groups across uh, the situation, there's no way you're gonna know everybody, but that's not the goal. 
The goal is not for us to know everybody. The goal is for everyone to be known. And if we can move you into an environment where you're known, then we've succeeded. And as you become known by other people around you, you get to know Jesus more, you get to know people more, and God starts changing your life. That's what he wants to accomplish. And he does it in relationships. So the question then, the last thing that we'll kind of share this morning is why is relationships so important for us to pursue? Why is this so important? And it would be really easy just to stand here and go, well, because God designed us that way. We're designed for relationship. And trust me, I've made that statement so many times. We're designed for relationship. And we could just leave it at that. God hardwired you to be a relational person, to be a relational being. You're hardwired that way. And we could just go, so deal with it. You're hardwired that way. But guess what? This is shown and proven out in more than religious environments and circles. Here's a recent study that was shared with me this week from Harvard Health Magazine. It said a, a relative lack of social ties is associated with depression and later life cognitive decline, as well as with increased mortality. One study, which, uh, which examined data for more than 309,000 people, found that lack of strong relationships increased the risk of premature death from all causes by 50%. An effect on mortality risk roughly compared to smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day and greater than obesity and physical inactivity. Are you hearing that? Here's what Harvard is telling us. If you're not in strong, deep relationships, you have a greater chance of cognitive decline and early death than if you smoked 15 cigarettes a day, you're obese, and you're never physically active. Like some of those things are the biggest killers in our culture. And yet what science is showing us is that lack of relationship is a greater killer than those things. We need each other. God hardwired us for relationship. We can say that from a religious standpoint, but we can say that with data from science to prove it and back it up. And they go, this is what we need. This is what we're supposed to be about to be in relationship with other people. So let me wrap this up today by saying this. Uh, we currently have nine small groups, life groups that are available. And we understand that for a church our size and as we continue to grow, that nine groups is probably not enough for where we are right now. Um, but we don't want that to be an excuse that you use to go, well, I just won't go then because there's too many, you know, too many people and not enough groups. We don't want that. Here's what we really want, and we're going to stress and encourage today you're going to have an opportunity to go out and sign up for groups. As you do, you're going to look at a roster and you're going to see a lot of names on groups and go, man, if all of those people come to the group at the same time, it's going to be a big group. And that may be the case. And it may be more than what we would like or hope for. However, we want to encourage you to lean into the tension of that. We want to encourage you to think about that and go, man, what might God be calling you to do to start another group? For some people in this room this morning, you're capable and ready and able to lead a group, and we want to call you into that. It may be that very quickly in our semester, groups start to branch with healthy branches and healthy leaders. That's part of the goal. We want that. And all do we want it, we need it. So if God starts stirring in you to go, not just be a part of a group, but be an intentional leader for a group, we want to talk to you about that. 
Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.